Oh-ho! To record a podcast, you must first seek a plus-two power microphone, arcane headphones of cancellation, and a topic most compelling. Stay tuned! Good day and welcome to Writers Get Animated, a podcast about storytelling, animation, and perception shifts. I'm Mackenzie Worrell. And I'm Chris Leva. I don't want to steal Chris's thunder. We'll talk about what a perception shift is later. Thunder! I mean, there's a lot of lightning and thunder involved. So today, we are talking Onward, Pixar's, I guess, first movie of 2020, not only movie of 2020. That's right. They have another movie coming out in soon yeah it's a two for a year yeah good for them original ones as well yeah because this is onward is their first original story since 2017 correct because the last run has been toy story 4 monsters university in there somewhere um and some other stuff was coco all the way back in 2017 Yes. That doesn't feel right. <laughs> yes, it was. It was It was back then. No, it couldn't have been. Monsters University is older than that. I have no idea. I can't. Yeah, Monsters University is way before okay. Coco. <clears throat> oh, Finding Dory? Finding Dory. Finding Dory. Yeah. We always seem to forget Finding Dory. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Every time you think the joke is dead, it's not dead. It is not a joke because we legitimately keep forgetting Fighting Dory. Ah, there is nothing forgettable about Dory, but let's let's move ahead and and talk about Onward. Yes. So today, uh, per our our new use, if you're a new listener, uh, we're going to talk for a little bit about Onward as an idea, almost like a trailer for the film. But you're listening to it and people talking about it. And then we'll have a very clear spoiler warning once we're getting into mm, maybe stuff where you should probably see the film first. But if you don't want to, you can keep listening. We won't stop you. We'll just tell you to stop. Make your own choices. We will We will let you know when the point of no return has arrived. Mm-hmm. Um, Chris onward yes i feel like we've seen trailers for a while uh for the past i think we've been watching trailers for onward since 2017 (laughs) is that right (laughs) i guess they probably had the teaser with like the fantasy world of the plane flying across early on that rings a bell um so having seen so many trailers because we're still talking about not spoilers of the movie. Uh, What did you expect going into this film? Looking through the trailers, I expected a story of two brothers on a road trip and a fantasy world with modern influences. That's what I expected. It's very general. Yeah. Um, I expected... Chris Pratt to Pratt it up. I expected Tom Holland to bring the heart. Um, not that Chris Pratt doesn't bring heart to it, but I, you know, I was expecting Tom Holland to be the 
the center of the story based on the trailers. Yeah, Chris Pratt brings like the goofy heart. Yeah. Yeah, Tom Holland brings like the authentic preteen heart, even though he's like, I don't know, 23? Post-teen? <clears throat> yeah, something like that. He's, <laughs> he's in that magical age where now I'm old enough, like, uh, you're not in high school, but you're not my age. That's all the same, right? That, that's my takeaway. That's, that's your takeaway. <laughs> yes. What about you? What were your expectations? Were you expecting anything more than that? I think all about the same. I think I expected to have a lot of um, commentary about modern society. Um, hmm. I expected, uh, just based on the, the first trailer where, like, um, Tom Holland's character is coming out to, like, take out the trash and then gets in the van with Chris Pratt's character uh, saying they have to run a very strange and unique errand. It's not a quest. It kind of expected like, I think a slightly different plot. Um, I don't feel like this is spoilers yet because it's all at the beginning of the movie. Um, that scene isn't in the final film and that's okay. Uh, Cause the scene in the trailer just kind of gives you an idea of the movie, even though it's not the movie. Does right. that make sense? And it does make sense. And I'm sure that like many Disney, Pixar, and now Star Wars films, um, which have things in trailers that end up not being in the film, it has to do with the story changing through the process. And there's definitely an art to the trailer. I'm 100% okay with trailers that do things that aren't in the film because you want to get, you have like maybe up to two minutes to say, Here's vaguely what this is about and the kind of characters that are in here and create a compelling reason to go see it. And sometimes you can't do that if you have a very plot point driven story because you don't want to spoil too much. True. And if you're a longtime listener, you know, I have a whole soapbox rant about trailers that tell you too much. And I believe that the trailers that we got center around the first 10 minutes of the film. Yeah. For the most part. Which I'm really There's, okay with. I'm fine with. Like, if you can't do enough in the first 10 to 15 minutes of your film to tell us who the characters are, what the world is, and what might happen, I think there are deeper script, script and structural problems <laughs> than anything else. Mm -hmm. I do... In terms of this film's marketing leading up to it, one of the things that I dislike in modern filmmaking is the 30 character poster approach of like, meet this character, just because they have two lines doesn't really mean that they're a character. <laughs> True. I think this film had all kinds of posters for people that aren't characters. Right. They are in the film. Yeah, they're in the film. And things happen, not to them. <laughs> they don't change or grow or... Yeah. I mean, they do in like the, the two-minute scene kind of change or grow. Here's my want. Actually, I don't want this want anymore, so you may proceed with your quest. <laughs> I'm trying to keep it vague for audience's sake. I appreciate that. <laughs> yeah, so, we're still early on. Yeah, we're early on. So who are the actual main characters and main side characters of this film? 
Well, we have the Lightfoot family. We have Ian, and who is voiced by Tom Holland. And we have Barley, who is voiced by Chris Pratt. And they basically look like Tom Holland and Chris Pratt in blue elf form. But like Parks and Rec Chris Pratt. Not right, right. The Galaxy Chris Pratt. We better specify that. Yeah, it, <laughs> and, it's Andy Dwyer, Chris Pratt. Um, <laughs> better specify. Thank you. I almost led people astray there. Yeah, like <laughs> he's he's no chiseled um, hero by any stretch. Uh, and then we have Laurel Lightfoot, the mother. Uh, voiced by Julia Louis-Dreyfus. And it's those three characters existing and their life. Um, what is their normal life in this magical fantasy world? Mm-hmm. Slash not magical fantasy world. Yeah, like 70% normal, 30% fantasy. Yeah, I, I kept trying to figure out um, ever since... Disney's Treasure Planet. It's always fun to figure out the ratio that the artists use to figure things out. Like I'm directing a show right now and we're doing 80-20. We're doing 80% 1980s influence and 20% um, fairy tale. That's, that's the rule. Well, I cheated on this one. I went to Pixar's website for Onward where they explicitly say it's 70% familiar and 30% fantasy. Which is the same thing that they did for um, Treasure Planet, but flipped it. It was 70% sea voyage and 30% futuristic. Mm. I think if they had flipped it to 70% space and 30% like ship voyage stuff, it may have done a little bit better. Yeah. I remember watching Treasure Planet way after it came out and thinking, oh, this isn't that bad. Uh, I just think that's one of the films that got a bad rap. I mean, bottom line, I don't think there's anything in the Disney animated canon or Pixar animated canon that's bad. Correct. There may be things that don't meet expectations, but they're all good if you just see each film on its own. So they said this on Pixar's website, 70% familiar, 30% fantasy. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay, I was going to guess 60-40, so I'm glad that I was in the ballpark. Yeah, <clears throat> I mean, so they were talking about production design on the website. You can, you too could Google just the word onward and then click on the Pixar URL and learn this all yourself, dear reader. Listener. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but they were talking about production design and they were generally going for that 70-30. But what they found is the characters often tip the shots into the 30% fantasy or more just having them in the shot. And so a lot of the production design is much more familiar oriented than fantasy. Yeah. The settings and the scene. Yeah. But what I think yeah. worked for them is they set it in like that. I mean, I feel nostalgic for it, that old school nerd familiar. So it's still like air quotes, real life, but it's nerd real life of the late eighties, early nineties. 
Can you say a little bit more about that? What What do you mean exactly? Like, give me give me some touchstones in there. Uh, I mean, barley just reminds me of so many people in my own life and history. Uh, <laughs> it's just there's so many options there. It's uh, even today. I think if you walk into like a game store and you look for the adult who's not there with a child, that's barley. Like this, it's a character of real life that's just out there. And that's not a bad thing. That's just a thing that's out there. Someone who like loves Lord of the Rings and can quote it and do things about it. Um, and who has a very specific, at least one very specific nerd hobby where it's like tabletop games or D&D um, or a collectible card game. That's my vice. Uh, <laughs> things like that. I see. I see. Cosplay. Yeah, cosplay, which I'm trying to learn more about, understand. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's, it, I felt very nostalgic watching this film because it was the part that was familiar real life. It was about our main characters. It was about like a familiar nerd outside the mainstream life. Like here's the D&D game with miniatures set up on the kitchen table that is in progress with his friends. You can't eat breakfast there because that's their space. There's a game going on. You can't destroy the tombs of Merrick. I don't know where I pulled. I just tried to make things up. Uh, <laughs> it sounded legit. Thank you. Um, but yeah, I think there was one part of it that when I saw them having... Um, touch-based cell phones, it felt a little bit more out of place than having trolls walking around um, a city with cars, you know? But I think that's partly just because we're still not used to that visual iconography in regular films. Like when you see something like not animated, Booksmart, and they have so much about social media and phones in there, you still go like, that's a novel, interesting thing to put in a film, when in reality, that's just life. Anyone who's not writing about any horror movie that's not writing out their cell phone in the first 10 minutes is not doing a good job as a horror movie these days. Mm-hmm. Interesting. If you're set 2010 or later as a film, and you're trying a- to portray real life like you have a phone. <laughs> so we also have... Um, how else would you describe this particular world? Hmm. When you've mentioned Tolkien. It reminds me a lot of, um, stories that my mom has told me of like her time in high school. Mm -hmm. And I'm thinking like, (sighs) I don't know how to describe it. Like specifically the, the dragon mural on the high school looks very like, rural late 70s high school design right smiley cartoony Mm -hmm. it looked like um the polar bear on an icy you know like icy dessert that polar bear like that that kind of style from when i was like younger i mean not 60s young but i mean early 80s yeah it's a it's a very specific aesthetic, and it's hard 
we're having a hard time articulating now, but those things were around then. I think this film uses a mix of stuff from those decades to a certain degree. But there's a lot of making making the mean nice. Like the Manticore mascot suit at the restaurant. Which was shown in the trailers. Oh man, I don't recall that part at all. Maybe to stop watching trailers at some point. I tried not to, and then I went to see movies, and then I had to. <laughs> I was forced to. <laughs> well, that's on you, Chris, for seeing movies. How dare you support those billionaires? I don't know. <laughs> 20 minutes worth of trailers. My goodness. Um, let's let's segue, not in, quite into spoiler zone. We're still on the quest. Um, we're still starting this quest, but um, what do we get... Is there anything more that we want to say about what's going on? We talked about who, which characters we have and who they are. Um, do we want to say anything else about a sense about the story of what we're experiencing and what more to expect? Yeah, I think to do that, we can get into the wants of these characters that we start out with at the beginning of the film. Um, and I think it's, they all, to a certain degree, want to live a normal life. Mm. And I think it's that the ideas of what a normal life is to all three of the Lightfoot characters is what drives the conflict. Because you have Ian, who uh, is our main character and was born after the death of their father. So he's never known his dad. And to him, a normal life would be having a dad that he has an emotional connection with and having that guidance with who can teach him some things like how to drive, um, how to get through life, you know, yeah. a, a guide, teach me things and somebody I can learn from and who could awaken my true self. <laughs> that <laughs> sounds very much person. like a quest. Yeah. 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 He just, he wants that. He wants something. He, he misses something he never had. Right. And he's nostalgic for that. Uh, whereas Barley, uh, without getting too much into spoiler territory about why he feels the way he feels. Um, he's very outgoing and charismatic and has no fear about anything that he wants because that's his normal life. Of He wants to be in the moment constantly and mm -hmm. not have anything holding him back, and that's his normal life. And he wants to share that love not just with his friends, who we don't see, but presumably are the ones playing quests of yore with him on the tabletop. I don't think he's playing with his family. I, I think he might be playing with himself. Or himself, yes, that too. Uh, but he wants to share that with his family, especially his little brother Ian. Like He just has this genuine love of life and everything. And he's not... He's not proud per se of who he is, but he's proud of what he's done. He doesn't feel shame about anything he's done. And he wants normal life to be surrounding himself with other people who don't feel shame about what they've done. Because he talks about his truck, Guinevere, I guess van, van's a better word. Yeah, he talks about his van, Guinevere, and like how he's rebuilt Guinevere from scratch and done all these things. And is it the perfect van? Everybody who's seen a trailer can say, no, it's not a perfect van, but he thinks it is. I don't know. From the outside, it's pretty perfect. <laughs> yes, from the outside. Not as perfect as that Zootopia van. That's Same true. Idea. Yeah. That's true. 
Um, and then I think the mother, Laurel, um, just wants to live that like normal suburban life. And she wants the best for her boys. And she wants them to love themselves and be happy. And she also wants to have her own life too outside of that. Like she is uh, dating Colt Bronco, which seems like a fairly new thing because the boys don't really get along with this other dude. Uh, But she's dating someone. It's been long enough that he can come over and it's not weird for her, but it's weird for her kids. Right. And she has her little workout video. She's just staying in shape. She's living her life and she's supporting her kids. And that's normal to her. So sure. I think her want is more to maintain the status quo than to achieve something new. I think there's something about all parents um, from my own experience, but also from other people's experience, which is, I just need to hold things together. Mm. Like I need to keep and holding on to status quo, as you said, is pretty much like I can't have anything tipped back. Or if something bad has happened, a tragedy has happened, it's I need to help them recover. And then I have to be um, aware and um, not aware, but in some way responsible for making sure that this continues mm-hmm. you know, in a good way. I need, I need the healing and I, I'm the linchpin in this family. Oh, yeah. And I don't think that her want is abnormal or portrayed in negative life. That's negative light. It's she's mom. That's mom. That's Laurel. She made her yeah. little like. I don't know, pigs in a blanket, but like instead of a little spear, she's a little plastic colorful sword stuck in them. Like, oh, mom, you live in this fantasy suburban world and I love it. (laughs) So I feel like we're getting close to moving into spoilers. (laughs) Yeah, this. I feel like to talk about anything else in this movie involves spoiling things. So be warned, those who continue past this point, spoilers are near. Abandon all spoilers, ye who listen here. No, no, no. The spoilers won't be abandoned. Abandon Abandon this podcast. Non-spoilers? Abandon all podcasts. Okay. Abandon this podcast if you don't want the spoilers. Because they will be here. So you can take a break now and enter your van, your ode, and go to a quest to the movie theater and see Onward yourself. And then we'll be here afterward. Acquire your $17 snacks and sit in your throne and put your feet up. I just got so envious because I forgot that you still live in Ohio for a second and $17 seems so cheap for snacks. Oh, I was trying to, I was trying to, um, go up They're They're like 14. So I think my movie ticket was like $24 last night, just for me. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Neither here nor there for onward. That is not a compliment nor criticism of the film. That's just the state of AMC theaters. All right. Well, let's talk through 
Um, now that we're in the spoiler zone, I did want to mention there's something, another interesting influence that's out there that I got, and that is um, Legend of Zelda. Really? You think so? Especially with the Raven's Point. Oh, yeah. That's very, very similar to finding your way in that one dark path in Legend of Zelda, where you're finding the things pointed the right way, mm-hmm. where you have to follow the wind going the right way. I'm so glad it's, that there's now one Zelda game we can talk about. I know, I know. <laughs> Together on this podcast. <laughs> Not just me referencing all kinds of Zelda things. So I, I think there's also that influence. So it's not just fantasy worlds of your 1980s, but fantasy um, worlds of now, um, <laughs> of yon, um, of now. I mean, yes, I, it feels very influenced by the big names of nerd fantasy. Um, I also wrote down as I felt like there were some final fantasy elements in there, uh, between some of the, the spell casting, which is a part Harry Potter, part final fantasy. And then the, um, the MacGuffin, the Phoenix gem was a little spot on the nose of like final fantasy item of, uh, in that game series is an item you get that's called Phoenix down, which you use this Phoenix feather or down to revive a fallen comrade in battle. And of course here they have the Phoenix gem where they're reviving their dad for a day. But gems, I feel like, yeah, I don't know. Like you found a red gem. You found like, that's, that's so on brand for fantasy worlds too. Oh, totally. Every, a good fantasy world needs a good shiny rock. Right? <laughs> also, and you put this in here about, um, I want to talk about the construction of the story just a little bit and what threads people should be watching for and what things pay off um, and how we know things are important <laughs> and how we... <clears throat> figure the stuff out. Mm-hmm. So you have a couple and I have a couple too. So how do we know, how do we know just in general that something is important and we should pay attention to it? Well, I think like the construction of some of this, what's important in this film is interesting because it's part Influenced just by how you tell a story in a film. It's like a well-made film. Uh, but it's also got elements of like a fantasy riddle. Like I think of the, <clears throat> I can't name any specifics. This could be really bad, like mom recap of Lord of the Rings. But like when they go to the mines of Moria and then there's the puzzle to get in, they have to like figure out how to get in. They're like told right away, but the thing doesn't work. So you have to find the other meaning of the thing. Mm-hmm. That... That's trope of fantasy, and I think we get that here. And let's talk about what you expect when you hear, I'm going to go see a fantasy movie, category, fantasy in the genre of, and I'm using air quotes here, Western mythology, because I don't believe in really like this Western versus Eastern thing, especially in the modern age, but there's definitely a Western fantasy with Western dragons. 
So you expect the dragon. Where's the dragon going to be? What's going to happen? And they do a good job, I think, in the the prologue of this, where they're kind of recapping the world. Like, there used to be magic, and it was this, and there were quests. And, of course, in that montage, you see a dragon guarding a shiny object. You're like, aha, there are dragons. These people that we don't know in this prologue are on a quest, and there's a dragon enemy guarding the thing. It's fantasy. That's what fantasy is. Right. It's dragons. That's that's the whole thing. Uh, and then we cut forward into the modern world, and of course we open with, at some point in the early first ten minutes, Ian going to school, and on the side of a school is a giant mural of a cartoon dragon that we linger on, which is both a juxtaposition to show you how the world has changed since the prologue showing the ancient history of fantasy. Um and sets the tone of school and how diametrically opposed it is to what Barley talks about. Uh, there's layers of fantasy and how they respect the past in this world. And the camera just lingers on this mascot dragon for a little long, so you know this is going to come back later. Yeah, it, it is a long shot. And even I was I was watching that, I'm like, we're lingering on this dragon. What's happening with that dragon? <laughs> I mean, my, my immediate thought was, when are they going to fight this dragon? Like, this exact dragon. Yeah. Uh, is important, the filmmakers whispered in your ear. It's a Chekhov's gun, but a cartoon dragon. Mm-hmm. Um, in, in one set of storytelling, it is uh, what's called a pointer. If you look at um, perception shift in storytelling, and we'll talk more about the perception shift a little bit later, but there are two things. There are pointers and plants. And plants help build up the world. They don't really lead to anything. They're just there. They're markers. They they help the world exist. Um, They add life to it. But a pointer is something that tells you exactly where things are headed and what is going to happen. And I like that you've described this because I believe the mascot dragon is physically pointing in his mural as well. I believe so, yeah. (laughs) Pointing to the right, go dragons! And if that's not enough about dragons yet, by the time we actually um, are presented the quest by the Manticore, um, and she's talking about the curse to the mother, um, the curse is represented by the shadow of a dragon coming out of the gem. So it's like, don't forget, dragons are important. The dragon is the <laughs> guardian at the end. You must test yourself by facing the dragon. And of course, in mythical storytelling, you face yourself by confronting uh, the things that are antithetical to the hero. Right. And so by the time we actually get to the ending of Onward uh, and the curse is summoned, and it makes the rock dragon, it assembles itself out of all of the things that are nearby that are representative of Ian's anxieties and fears about himself. So you have the cartoon dragon mascot pulled off the wall of the school and it becomes the face of this rock, this dragon shaped rock monster thing. And it also pulls out different parts that we've seen previously in the film, like parts of the classroom where he's trying to make friends, the car from the driving test. It just pulls all of Ian's anxieties into a literal dragon that he has to slay. (laughs) It's so deliciously on the nose. (laughs) 
Okay. So on the nose. I can't be mad. Like, ugh, why has no one done this before? And it's what I love about it is that it's obvious yet still surprising. They and do the, surprising things with it. Right. And they allow you, they lie to you throughout the whole thing because what they tell you is that this is about Ian and his father. So they're telling you in one way, watch for them getting the quest to see the father. That's what's important because you're following along with Ian and that's what the story is. And that's where his head is. The only thing that's important is seeing dad. That's it. Ian needs to find dad and see dad, meet dad, do all these things, and then he will be fulfilled as a person. And that's what the filmmakers are saying. That's what Ian actually believes. And it is not true. It is a myth. It is wrong. <laughs> um, but that's what they tell you. So they're giving the audience something to ignore. Hmm. Mm -hmm. Be, you know, they're like, ignore the dragon, ignore what's really going on emotionally, even though we've told you that it's about him and his friends and trying to make friends and trying to have a party and driving and anxiety and letting his worry brain win. You know, it's, I'm sorry, I, I just snuck in language <laughs> of how we talk to my child. <laughs> like, yeah. I'm a parent um, with, of a child who has a lot of anxiety about school and not driving tests yet. Um, but uh, it, it was it was just interesting to see th how they lied to you, because I will admit I didn't know I saw that the dragon was important, and then I ignored it because I was tracking the father and. Because that's what Ian and Barley are tracking at the same time. So did um, you figure it out when they actually did the reveal in the film? I think... Well, no. I, because it, it, it leads to two separate reveals, I feel. The, there's the reveal that Ian doesn't need his father. He has... Barley and Barley's always fulfilled that um, that place in his life, and that it's really Ian's anxiety and personal fears that are keeping him from being who he really is. There are those two things. He already has a father, and it's all inside of him, and he he can do it. He has what he needs already in both senses. Um. There, I was tracking through, and there was the moment when they when they dance. You know, the dad's half a body is feels the vibrations of the music and starts dancing around mm -hmm. and like pulls his sons over. Which I was starting to think, like, what is the top half of his dad doing? Like, where is what is it? What world is it in? Does it exist somewhere? Like, is it like? in control so anyway there were some interesting questions that i had during the scene um during the film in time <laughs> but um i started thinking 
oh, it's not about the father. He needs to concentrate on what is going on right now. Like he is having an experience with his dad, but he's ignoring it because he doesn't have a full, he doesn't have think he has a fullness of his father. Like it's being his, with his father, it's being and doing and experiencing the quest. It's not just this final thing that it thinks you're after. It's who you are and what you're doing on the way. So it was during the dance, I kind of got some clues, but I didn't know where, what the reveal was going to be. What about for you? What, what were you like? Oh, I see. This is about this. I mean, I think it definitely fully clicked when the film did the reveal, but the where I got the clues was when he's making the list about what to do with his dad and they show up for the first time. Mm-hmm. And there are a number of things on there like, well, you just did a bunch of those on this trip, <clears throat> even if you didn't do it with dad. It was the driving lesson thing in particular, like, well, you're driving now. Right. Do you need a driving right. lesson? Because you just got that. You, yeah, you merged on the <clears throat> interstate. You're fine. <laughs> Which, that's real learning to drive anxiety. Oh, I hated that. They made me do that on a stick shift. Nope, shut it down. No I stick did shift. O- I did okay. And then I got off, and then it, um, it stalled at the <clears throat> first light I hit. And then I couldn't, I, they, they kicked me out of the car. Like I had to switch places with somebody else. I had to like roll into like a gas station or something and switch. Anyway, I still don't have anxiety about that. I am a healthy <laughs> adult person who f- no longer feels anxiety about merging. <laughs> Good to hear, Chris. I'm 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 very proud of you. Thank you so much. But I I think so. The we have the list. The list is also definitely a pointer. Here's a list of everything that I want in life. And then as the sun starts going down, he starts crossing things off the list. Um, and it's not. He doesn't start crossing things off. Um, he doesn't start check. Way. Right. He, he starts checking things off. Does he check them off only at the very end? When I think, the reveal happens? So throughout the film, uh, I think the the list acts as like a ticking clock. Because he the first time we see the list, he's like six or seven things on there. And he's like, well, don't have a time for a few of these. And he crosses off a couple at the top. And like we occasionally revisit the list and he says, don't have all the time and crosses more off. So as the sun is setting, I think he's sitting with his dad's, his dad's legs on the cliff and he's crossing off the last one saying like, I didn't get any of this. And then he realizes that he did get all of it. That's when he kind of goes through and checks them and has the realization himself. Right. And that's usually a good mark of the perception shift is that you realize um, if it's good, it happens when the character does it. And, you know, it's usually toward the end, if not the very end where the character has a realization and takes you back through all the things that you ignored because you're like, Oh, it's just a buddy road trip film. And this is what happens in a buddy road trip film. So you also have those things going in your head. Oh, they're going to have the run in with the bikers. (laughs) <laughs> you know, 
you're going to have the run in with the bad guys. And yet know. they do. They still do. It still happens. It's, it's a very eighties road trip film. Like it could be, I think if this had been made 30 years ago, you get like Martin short and John candy and it's the same movie. Like very little would have to change. I've just had a brilliant realization. This is just the four preteen animated version of Harold and Kumar go to White Castle. It was never about the burgers. It was about America. (laughs) America, Harold. Sorry, if you are uh, not an adult listening to this podcast, definitely do not go watch that movie. And I mean that. If you are an adult, do go watch it. It's great in a stupid way. Um, and I still regard it as one of the uh, the crowning jewels in my films of the round table in my head canon. if I ever make a movie. You heard it here first, folks. I'm influenced by Harold and Kumar go to White Castle. <laughs> <laughs> and they have a lot of the same tropes in that like 80s road trip buddy movie in that film, which is why I thought of it. And there's a perception shift at the end of like, what was this all about? Maybe that's just a buddy road trip movie thing too. I don't think it is because most buddy road trip movies aren't about that at the very end. I think perception shift and really good storytelling um, is just the character having a realization and hopefully the audience having a simultaneous realization um, like, oh, that was that. You know, I think of ones like The Prestige, um, Christopher Nolan, Sixth Sense, those movies where it's like the character has a realization like, oh, there was a lie this whole time or there was a truth. <laughs> more, more importantly, there was a truth that we ignored this whole time. And and now here's the truth being revealed. I mean, one of the things that's always stuck with me from, I guess, college and learning about directing and writing back in the day, um, at the time, at least it was really in for a lot of playwrights to talk about how like writing is like math. As the play comes together, you're like, oh, of course this has to go here. It's like solving an equation. Mm-hmm. And that never really resonated with me. But what did resonate was... Um, Storytelling is a magic trick. Mm-hmm. And all of the best stories follow all the same tenets of performing a magic trick on stage. And you can study magicians and learn how to write a story and write a movie just off of watching how magicians do their thing. Because you want the focus to be on something else and have the real thing happening elsewhere. And then when the reveal happens the audience is delighted and you go like, I didn't understand this happening. You have that surprise and delight of like, wow, that's really cool. And I had no idea that was going on. And I mean, what's interesting is so magic uh, to bring it back to onward specifically. (laughs) So in a magic trick, okay, I have to talk about the prestige and then I'll talk about onward. So (laughs) magic trick (laughs) you have, um, the, the presentation of the magic trick first. Like, here's the real world as you know it. Here's the pledge. This is the real world. This is how things work. So it sets up, this is how things happen. And then you have the turn where, the, where you take that world and you transform it. Um, you 
leave your dad in half, <laughs> you know? So here we are, we perform the magic trick um, and we have half a dad. Then what happens at the end is the prestige is you return the world to the way it was before, but somehow it's more changed and it's a completely different one. It's a transformed world where things are returned um, in this way, like the father is removed from the picture again, but everything else around has been changed. Mm -hmm. So we have Ian has bested the dragon and he did not have to see his father. Barley gets to have his goodbye moment with his father. So he gets to have closure and healing. Um, mother gets to make sure that her sons are safe um, and realize that her sons are who they are and are strong as who they are and will uh, be okay. That She doesn't have to care for them in the same way. And then they, they, they just recognize the world is back and everyone's more of themselves than before. Mm -hmm. And plus is the epilogue of some people have magic again. Which is nice. Magic returns. Yeah, it's it's there. That's the name of the the, the orchestral uh, soundtrack that plays at that time, I believe. Magic Returns. Is it really? <laughs> <laughs> Two minutes, 48 seconds, Magic Returns. Uh, <laughs> yeah, which I think is it's cute. I really like the setup at the beginning of the movie that I think has that payoff at the end that is the social commentary part that I was kind of expecting. And I'm glad we didn't have as much of it because this could just be Wally, but if the past were a magical world instead of the real world. And I didn't want a rehash of Wally. Could you say a little bit about that? So in the prologue, they do all the, the questing and the montage and the da 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 da. Uh, and they kind of say, like, magic is hard. And since so you show someone inventing the light bulb, they're like, technology was way easier to do a lot of the same things. So over time, people got used to technology and they kind of cut forward and forward and forward and forward to have like the mermaid in the swimming pool checking Instagram. Great. Uh, they made the point like, magic is not lost, it's just abandoned. Hmm. And we still exist in a world where there's knowledge of magic and it was a thing, but no one wants to do it because it's harder. And a lot of the movies about wanting to take the hard route just because that's where the interesting things happen. That's discovery. Yeah. You And in a way it is also like a better sequel to Cars than Cars. Two, <laughs> because it is about don't take the interstate take the you grow when you don't take the interstate you take this other harder longer path if you take the faster path you won't actually get to grow yeah and i think barley points that out it's like no if you go the obvious way you'll never never get there it was never about and he said oh my gosh he, he says, says it, it about the plot <laughs> Here's another here's another plant. I'm sorry, pointer. Here's an is another pointer where Barley says it's not about the mountains. It's never it was never about the mountains. We found it over here 
it's not about the mountains. Um, it's not about that goal. It's not the end goal that we thought it was about. It's about something else. Um, it's not what you think it is. Hey, audience, it's not what you think it's about. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's basically what they're doing. Um, and that, um, that it all comes back to the magic fountain that Barley was trying to protect. Like, that's the whole thing again. Barley's trying to protect history, but also live in now. He just authentically loves these things and he wants other people to love the same weird things. He wants to share that with the world. He doesn't want to just protect it for the sake of protecting the past. He wants other people to see it the same way that he sees it. The past has value. Yeah. His memories have value. Yes. Even though he has three memories of his father. (laughs) Three good ones. They have value. I thought it was two good ones. Oh, I lost track. I feel like the number of memories. I thought he had two good ones and then one that was bad. Maybe he has three. Maybe he has four total. Something like that. I'm going to have... No, I'm going to have to, but I'm when I watch this again, I will... On Disney Plus in six months. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So I also, before we're done, I want to talk about why this film now. Yeah, this, I think this is really important because I didn't see this um, in the film in the same way you did because of my reasons, and I'll, I'll explain it after you explain it. Well, I think your reasons are important because it's a way to, uh, to judge a film in the modern age of like, are we sticking with the obvious route or are we doing something harder? And I think that what you saw, and I don't want to speak too much for you, so correct me if I'm wrong, was like, you have the test of like, could these characters be replaced by female characters and would the story be just the same? Right. That's, that's one of my tests, especially for Pixar, who has a track record of two films with lead characters being women. Mm -hmm. Two. (laughs) And I think that there's the obvious route is to go with male characters a lot of the time. Um, Mm -hmm. and I think that's a valid thing to want more from Pixar, but what I saw was not that I thought that, yes, these were two male characters in the lead because I was saying something about this specifically for this time. Could the story be female characters and would it be just the same? Yes, absolutely. But that's not why they did this story. (laughs) And for me, the story, the they're doing this because it's a story about um, how it's okay to have friendship with other boys and to show emotion as a boy and to sacrifice something you want for others you love, which is a message I think geared specifically at young, in technical terms, pre-jerk boys uh, before you get some of the isolationism, Mm -hmm. radicalization that I think is plaguing modern young American boys today. Um, this is a film geared at that age, like right when you're getting to that. And I think that sometimes they would see what Barley is going through as a aspirational of being like this. He's in his room doing his thing, taking a really long gap year, as his mom says. Um, and the story shows us that his family sees him as a screw up. 
there's good things yeah. about him still though he's redeemable and so we get it, it never takes anything head-on about our modern political climate but i like that it's very subtle about all that is we have ian who's nostalgic for a time in the past that he thinks is great but he never knew that time that isn't for him he's not living in the now uh, and he's learning to show emotion and sacrifice and have friends and be with his family. And we have Barley, who's understanding that he is still a good person, but he's things that people don't like about him and see him as not that great. And they learn about that together. Mm -hmm. uh, so for me, that's really important. And I think it's justified that this story is about two boys, given that. And additionally, I think we have some fully formed female B characters in mother lightfoot and cory the manticore and i think maybe for myself in the way that i've been trying to be a father and you know the way i've been trying to raise a son i i didn't see that side of things because i expect like that kind of relationship to happen <laughs> like to be okay with emotions like one of the main reasons why we watch um, Lego Masters on Fox is because of healthy, emotional men on that, like expressing their emotions, expressing their relationships to the other men that they're hanging out with, their brothers, their best friends. Like, like this is good. This is healthy. <laughs> this is amazing. Also, these Lego creations are remarkable, but like, it's more about the emotional thing for us. Um, but I think you saying that makes all the sense. Yes. This is like a, this is another way to show look healthy male relationship. And I did appreciate that moment where, <laughs> and of course it's such a, fantasy thing the rule is you to keep up the lie you can't tell a lie <laughs> like I, i'm like oh that's just so good so something is gonna happen and he's gonna be unable to hide something and it's he's such a screw-up you know wouldn't you no, agree <laughs> <laughs> no i would not <laughs> you know? and, and he knows he tries anyway even though he he knows it's a lie and it just Oh, break my heart, yeah, Barley. That, that's the Pixar moment right there. Yeah, boom. That one, more than more than not being able to see his father, that's the moment that I... Yeah, I, I did forget to say one expectation I had coming into this film was to cry over a pair of pants. That's not the pair of pants I cried over. Yeah. I Yeah, I thought that they would either never get to see the father again or they would be okay with... <laughs> having the pants of their father, you know, and saying goodbye to their father that way and realizing that they wouldn't. But I, I appreciated some expectations being subverted and some expectations being realized. And mm -hmm. it, and they were never that what I expected to be expectedly. Uh, I'm confusing myself. Yeah, it was well a lot done. of expectation. I know. I had a lot of expectations going in, and though I, I feel like a lot of them paid off, and then many of them were paid off in unexpected ways. 
That's fair. Which means they were unexpected? I don't know. Always expect the unexpected. <laughs> Always unexpect the expected. <laughs> Is that the playwriting rule? Oh, it's so hard. <laughs> uh, anything else that we should say about Onward today? Um, if you've listened this far and haven't seen it, still go see it. Like, yeah. Just just go see it. We haven't ruined everything. Um, Especially have, if you're a writer, this is a good like writer movie to see. Oh, yeah. Learn a lot. Like Figure out the clues and then see if you can find out where everyone else is being affected. So good. It's a great lesson. Mm-hmm. Seconded. Good job, Dan Scanlon, Jason Headley, and Keith Bunin. Bunin? Did we decide? We were taking a guess at pronunciation, and I don't think we decided what the best guess was. <laughs> we didn't. We didn't. So Let apologies and thanks. We could have just said Dan, Jason, and Keith, but no, we're not that Never close. go the easy way. Don't take the obvious way. You're right. You're right. I said we could have. We could have. But we didn't. <laughs> uh... Chris, did you have a favorite thing? I did, but I think you stole mine. <laughs> I think we had the same favorite thing, basically. Yeah. There's lots of things that we liked in this. Um, long-time listeners will know that I like both Bathos and a joke that takes it one level further than you expected it to go. That's the thing, yeah. And so you have the moment where the rock dragon's assembling, and then it turns around, and you see its face is the cartoon dragon mascot. The best. And you're like, okay, that's a funny moment. I like it. And then it roars and like the mouth separates there. You're like, all right, they can't possibly do more with this. And like two minutes later in the fight, the dragon gets mad. And so it develops rock eyebrows of the mascot and they come down and make the cartoon dragon look angry. And it just goes that one (laughs) extra layer of frosting on top of the frosting that was already there. It makes you go like, chef's kiss, duck, gif. Love it. Oh, yeah, that's that was one of my favorite things. I also did appreciate the the roar of the dragon having school bell in it. Like that was just that's that's like the whipped cream in there. Like it's just like it's not it's extra and you're glad it's there, but you didn't have to put that in there, but you did and it makes it better. Mm. And then cherry on top. Actually, like four cherries on top are the eyebrows. (laughs) I do have to say this, though. Um, I forgot to say this, but (laughs) Pixar, specifically, um, Dan, Jason and Keith, um, you found a way to make my son wake up two times in the middle of the night in one week, two, two times freaking out about jello <laughs> deadly deadly jello two times he awoke once at two in the morning once at three in the morning on different days scared because of nightmares he had about giant gelatinous blob well, just I, just terrifying so thank you for that i guess jack will never eat jello again oh man he took, yeah, twice in one week. <laughs> Nightmares. All, 
memorable, good children's movies. When you're an adult, look back. You also have the moment that goes, I love that movie, but this thing freaked me out. Yeah. And that just makes it stick in there. You think about the good stuff more, too. Yeah, he did say, I hated that movie because of that. But then he's like, then we were like, what about all the other parts without that? Oh, it was really good. Like, okay. <laughs> uh, I think Jack just feels opinion strongly. He does. He does. He's at that it, age. I think when the dragon was happening, he was screaming, I hate this movie. <laughs> And and then like it, you know, other stuff happened, and he's like, okay, <laughs> yeah, he feels things very strongly. Uh, adorable. <sighs> Shall we talk homework time? What? For your homework, some more heartstrings to be tugged. Watch the final episode of BoJack Horseman, season six, episode 16, Nice While It Lasted. Shifting gears slightly. They're sad, they're animated, they'll make you scream, I don't like this in the middle of it. (laughs) Very same, but very different. As always, thank you to our engineer, Nigel Catino, and to Jacob Reed for our theme music. Let us know what you thought about Onward through Twitter at WG Animated. Like our page on Facebook so you get an update anytime there's a new episode. Or you could subscribe on where you listen to podcasts generally. Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, any of those places. Now set the podcast to... Oh, for over. Oh, that was a good one. I like that one. Look at you go. Hey. Well, now I need to look at this end. Good night, everybody. (laughs) 